Welcome back, humans. Welcome back. Today, we are going to weave a little bit of a web. Not a long one. And not uh, tangled. We're not weaving a tangled web. But it's going to be one meditation leading into another, leading into another. It'll make sense once I get into it. So, first we're going to start with a meditation that was written by Father Gru. Father Jean-Nicolas Gru was a French Jesuit priest and beloved spiritual master who died in 1803. So here's a meditation that he wrote that I, again, found in Magnificat. This was the meditation for the day on Wednesday, January 27th. And it goes like this. St. Paul says that all things work together for good to them that love God. And as this maxim is used very often when we are treating of the spiritual life, it is important that we should understand the meaning of it, that we should discern the reason of it and examine its consequences. First, the apostle says all things. He accepts nothing. All the events of providence, whether fortunate or unfortunate, everything that has to do with health or wealth or reputation, every condition of life, all the different interior states through which we may have to pass, desolations, dryness, disgust, weariness, temptations, all this is to be for the advantage of those who love God. And more than this, even our faults, even our sins. We must be resolved never to offend God willfully, but if, unfortunately, we do offend him, our very offenses, our very crimes, may be made use of for our advantage, if we really love God. We have only to remember David. We have only to remember St. Peter, whose sins served only to make them holier afterward. That is to say, more humble, more grateful to God, more full of love. All things work together for good. It is not a temporal good, not an earthly good. The gospel warns us of that often enough. We are no longer under the dominion of the law, which promised temporal rewards to those who observed it, but we are under the rule of grace. We must therefore believe, but with a belief that is born of faith and that does not rest on our own judgment, that our true good and our true advantage is found in the events of divine providence and in all the different interior states through which God makes us pass. Although often we cannot understand what God means to do with us, but all these divine arrangements are good only for those who love God. That is to say, for those who will, whose will, is united and submissive to the will of God, those who in his service consider before all things the interests of God, the glory of God, and the accomplishment of his good pleasure, who are ready to sacrifice to him everything without exception, and who are persuaded that there is nothing better for a creature than to be lost in God and for God, to be lost in God and for God, because it is the only means of finding ourselves again in him. That meditation can be found in The Spiritual Life, a comprehensive manual for Catholics seeking salvation, which again was written by Father John Nicholas Gru, SJ, 
He's a Jesuit. I found this in Magnificat. I'll give you another plug again for Magnificat. It's a really great magazine. It's an apostle of the Dominican order. And they consistently curate the best meditations for the gospel readings of the day. Now that meditation, again, was given on Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. And the gospel for that day was the parable of the sower. Which can be found in both Matthew and Mark's Gospels. In Mark, it's chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. And in Matthew, it's chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. And if you know, I just, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But you can look it up yourself. I'll just give a brief summary of the parable of the sower. Jesus explains to them that there's a sower who goes out spreading seed, right? And there's different ground that the seed encounters. Some of it is fertile, some of it is rocky, some of it's just a road and it gets trampled on. Some of the seed gets picked up by birds and taken away. Some of the seed gets choked out by weeds. Some of the seed just dries up after it grew really well, really quickly. And then he explains that that is that soil, that ground that the seed fell on is equated to different states of people's souls. Some people receive the word, they receive the gospel, they receive that seed, and it will grow up really quickly, but then once it gets difficult, once people start making fun of them, once the novelty of it wears off, they're no longer interested. And then some people, you know, the cares of life will choke it out. They just get distracted. And then some people, it just gets ripped away from them really quickly by somebody who impeded its growth. Somebody who stepped in and and told them, well, that's stupid. You don't need to uh, believe any of that. And so they just give it up. They just let go of it. It was ripped away from them. So, again, you can look into that for yourself. It's in both Mark and Matthew's Gospels. But that meditation that I just read is based on that gospel, the parable of the sower. And as he says, the seed will only grow if we allow God to consume us. As he says at the end, we need to be completely surrendered to God's will. And then we will find ourselves. When we are willing to give everything to God and to be lost in and for God, then we will find ourselves. Then the seed will grow. That's the fertile ground. The title that was given to this meditation for Magnificat is Trusting That the Seed Will Sprout and Grow. And it's interesting how he says, yes, we need to completely surrender to God in order for the seed to grow, in order for our soul to be that fertile soil, but he also relates it to where St. Paul says that all things work together for good for those who love God. It's very interesting how he connects the two. That, in case you're wondering, in case you don't already know, can be found in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 39. Where Paul talks about 
Nothing will separate us from the love of God. All things work together for our good. When we love God and we completely surrender ourselves to God. Again, that's Romans 8, 28 to 39. It's another one you can look up. I gave you a basic summary. So we go from the gospel parable of the sower to this meditation, which explains it in more detail, and then also links us over to Romans 8, where St. Paul says that all things will work together for good. All things, with no exception. Anything that happens to us, whether it's good or bad, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate. And from there, we go to again, our patron, Catherine of Siena, in the dialogue, God actually explains a little bit, reveals a little bit to Catherine why Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 8. He says to her, Paul then had seen and tasted this when I drew him up to the third heaven, to the height of the Trinity. He tasted and knew my truth, for there he received the Holy Spirit in his fullness and learned the teaching of my truth, the incarnate word. Paul's soul was clothed in me, the Eternal Father, through feeling and union, just as the blessed are in everlasting life. His soul, though, had not left his body, but the feeling and union were there. But it pleased my goodness to make of him a chosen vessel in the very depths of me, the Eternal Trinity. Therefore I stripped him of myself, since no suffering can befall me, and I wanted him to suffer for my name. Then I put before his mind's eye Christ crucified. I clothed him in the garment of his teaching and bound and chained him with the mercy of the Holy Spirit, the fire of charity. He was like a ready vessel, remade by my goodness, for he put up no resistance when he was struck. No, he said, my Lord, what do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do and I will do it. I taught him when I set Christ crucified before his eye and clothed him in my truth's teaching. Once most perfectly enlightened by the light of true contrition, grounded in my charity, through which he repented of his sin, he clothed himself in the teaching of Christ crucified. And he so held on to it, as he revealed to you, that he was never stripped of it. Not for the devil's tempting, not for the thorn in the flesh that often fought against him, which my goodness had permitted him to make him grow in grace and merit through humiliation, because he had experienced the height of the Trinity. Not for difficulties, not for anything that happened to him, did he loosen his hold on the garment of Christ crucified. That is, perseverance in his teaching. No, he took it even more closely into his flesh. He held it so tightly to himself that he gave his life for it, and he returned to me, God eternal, wearing that garment. This can be found on pages 152 and 153 of the Suzanne Nofke uh, translation of the dialogue. It's also the section that is called the bridge. It's where you can find this in the dialogue. I just found it very interesting how these things all weave together. God basically explains to Catherine that since Paul had been so united to God and had seen the Trinity, God wanted to make sure that he stayed humble that he didn't think himself better than others because he was so united to God. So he allowed these humiliations, he allowed the thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, to suffer like Christ crucified. And Paul did so well in that suffering 
Why? Because he held so tightly to the garment of Christ crucified. He held on to that teaching. And that's what he's telling us in Romans 8. He's telling us nothing. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Neither death, nor sickness, nor anguish, nor distress, nor persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or the sword. Nothing. Because he held on to it so tightly. And he's, he's telling us, I have seen it. I have experienced it. I have experienced persecutions. I have experienced the sword. I have experienced nakedness, peril, famine. You remember, he was locked in prison. He experienced all these things. And he said to us, I can tell you from my experience, nothing, nothing will separate us. Nothing on this earth has the power to separate us from the love of Christ. And because nothing can separate us, therefore... All things work together for the good. All things. So, in light of that, there is no reason for us to despair about anything. Anything that has happened in the last year, anything that has happened in the last two weeks, anything that will happen in the next year, we have no reason to despair, we have no reason to fret, we have no reason to be worried because all of this is being allowed by God, and all of it will work for our good if we but surrender our will to God's, become that fertile soil, and let the gospel, the truth, grow in us. May God bless you all. May that seed grow. May you be that fertile soil.